Time right now is 6.52. Dan Riskin joins us because it's time for Test Tube Thursday. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. All right. So for our first story, we need music. excuse. I always say the problem with Aerosmith is that I like Aerosmith. But um, Dan Riskin, this is a story about an asteroid that is going to make a close pass. How close? Asteroids are the gift that the universe keeps giving us as science communicators to talk about the asteroids that are coming. This is an asteroid that is going to come quite close and it's coming zipping by uh, tonight at about 7.27 p.m. Our time. It's not going over Toronto. It's going over uh, the southern part, uh, the southern tip of South America. But it's coming close. And uh, so this asteroid, they estimate the size. It's about the size of a FedEx truck. So 3.5 to 8.5 meters in diameter. That means my dog's going to bark at it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Your dog's gonna love this. Um, but it's it's gonna it's it's not gonna hit us. But it's coming ridiculously close. Like normally, when I'm talking to you and I'm saying, "Oh, they found an asteroid. And it's gonna come pretty close." It's it's, and then you use the distance to the moon as a metric, right? And so well, this is gonna come within three moon distances of the earth which is very close for an asteroid or it's going to come within you know five which is quite impressive this is going to be within one percent of the distance to the moon like a hundredth of the way to the moon it's going to be about three thousand kilometers over the surface of the earth it is just going to miss our atmosphere and this is going to totally change its orbit so it goes into a different orbit nobody's in trouble nobody is going to it's not going to crash and even if it did at that size it would probably mostly burn up and just fall as a, a small you know meteorite so there's really nothing to worry about, but it's quite impressive that they found this thing and that they know about it and people are going to be watching it. And one of my favorite things about this is that uh, the guy who discovered it is an amateur astronomer who just like loves telescopes. He actually lives in Crimea of all places and has discovered a whole bunch of comets and other things, but he's just like obsessed with the sky and does this in his spare time. He's an engineer by day, but at night he has his own telescopes and does this and he's the person that found it. So um, I'm just impressed that in a place that's at war, people still have time to look at the stars. It, it really, it makes you ask what, what stops us from going outside and looking at the stars too, you know? So you have word this morning of uh, new information about the plague and apparently the origins of it uh, may have been around a long, long time before it became an issue. Yeah, you know, the thing about, like, all of us sort of have experience with one pandemic that we don't like thinking about very much, but as bad as it was, it was no plague, right? Like, the Black Death, half of Europe died, right? Like, imagine half of people dying from a plague. And the way we felt so powerless with COVID-19 really drives home the stakes for these other types of plagues. Now, the plague, the literal plague, is a a disease caused by a bacterium, and it has been around in humans for at least 5,000 years, and it it crops up not just in Europe, but all over the world, everywhere except Australia has had outbreaks of the plague. Um, But this was sort of trying to figure out like, you know, like, does it show up and then everybody gets sick and then it's done? And then where does it go between the outbreaks? Because there've been outbreaks like, you know, in the sixth to eighth century, and then there's like nothing for, well, very little. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's the black plague in the 1300s and then nothing for a while. And then it shows up again in the 19th century. So researchers are trying to sort of figure out where it goes and why it comes back. And they've sort of found an uh, 
a very unsatisfying answer. This is research mostly out of McMaster University, um, where they've looked at the genetic sequences of all these different outbreaks, and they've got you know old skeletons from the different deaths, and they sequence the genetic information of the bacteria. And what they've found is that this stuff it can pop up in in a population decades or centuries before the actual pandemic happens. So it'll show up. Just a few people have it, and then is there something that happens in the population that all of a sudden makes everybody vulnerable or or turns a switch so that the 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 black plague or so that the the plague turns on and all of a sudden wipes people out so they they know now that it really does happen that it's in the population for quite a long time before it starts killing everybody but they don't exactly know what that switch is and so um it brings up more questions than it answers but it certainly does drive home that we're just uh sitting ducks waiting for scientists to protect us from the things that happen to us uh, over and over through our history super okay i'm ready <laughs> sorry yeah. it's like whenever people say well you know for the the next pandemic. No, thank yeah. you. Thank you very much. I don't plan right, to be right. here. Yeah, um, and it, it's interesting because it, usually you have decades or centuries between them. And so may we not have to live through another one and may science advance to the point that when the next one shows up, it's just very, very easy for us to snuff it out because we did snuff out SARS the first one. Yeah. And, you know, I think we could be hopeful. Uh, you have a headline here about artificial intelligence, which I don't completely understand because I know that a friend of mine gave me a book called The Singularity Is Now, and I knew it was a really important book, and it's on my bedside table, but I haven't read it yet. So uh, tell me about artificial intelligence and the singularity. Don't feel too bad about having not read that book. It's something that a lot of people are really obsessed with. I don't happen to fall into that category, but a lot of people who I respect and who I like very much are really into it. And the singularity is this idea that artificial intelligence and computers in general are going to get smarter and smarter, and they're going to hit this point, this they call it the singularity, where all of a sudden they're smarter than us and they have this advanced intelligence and then we're kind of along for the ride. We've been sort of in the driver's seat the whole time, but at some point the computers are going to take over. And then are they going to do away with humans? Is it going to be like Terminator or is it going to be just a new existence for us? What what, what does what happens at that point? So this, this moment of the singularity is something, uh, I think his name's Ray Kurzweil. He writes about it a lot and other people really obsess about it. And there's this press release that showed up that says that we're seven years from the singularity. And and uh, when you dig a little deeper on this, uh, it turns out it comes from a, a company that does translations of, so like if I have a website and I need to translate it into other languages so people can use it, this is a company I would hire to do that. And the way that they're, they're coming up with their metric is every time they do a translation, they start with artificial intelligence and then they have humans fix it. And the artificial intelligence is getting better and better. So it's taking less and less time to get fixed. And they estimate the, the amount of time it takes to fix these things has been going down linearly since 2014. And when they follow that graph out, within seven years, humans aren't going to be needed to fix it anymore. Artificial intelligence is going to be perfect or as good as a human at doing translation. And they're saying that's the singularity because according to them, translation is the hardest thing that artificial intelligence has to do. I think people in other fields might feel like there are other harder things, but it's an interesting, uh, it's going to be an interesting moment for sure when artificial intelligence can perfectly translate complicated things. Um, but whether you call that the singularity or not really depends on sort of whether you've read that that book on your bedside table yep. and how you feel about it. Well, and I have to say, I was reading the other day a limerick composed by a computer, and it was pretty boring. Yeah, no, and there's nothing. It wasn't like a, a young man from Nantucket, I'll tell you that much. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, the, the really good ones are 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 will take your breath away, certainly. And I, I know I've played with Chat GPT and asked it to do poems, and it doesn't do uh, sonnets very well either. It's it's getting there, but it's not there yet. Maybe okay. in seven years. And you're off to the Galapagos Islands. Are you going to go look at finches or what? 
Yeah, exactly. I'm leading a wildlife tour there in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited. I've never been, but yeah, finches, uh, giant tortoises, marine iguanas, it's uh, hammerhead sharks. Uh, it's just uh, for a person that likes wildlife, it's going to be a dream come true. So I'm very excited about it. And so we'll have to take a couple of weeks off, but I'll tell you about it when I get back. Uh, we will miss you, but it sounds like a fabulous adventure and no bats. There are two species of bats there, and both of them happen to also live in Ontario. So I hope I see them, but they're not the bucket list items. <clears throat> okay. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you.